0: Do you fantasize about entrepreneurship, of starting your own business, but stop short of taking that leap of faith? What if you could crack the entrepreneurial code and increase your chances of a safe landing? My next guest has the key. He's serial entrepreneur, Chris Hively.
1: She's a respected and trusted business advisor and Ivy League business expert best-selling author and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner.
0: Whether you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know, but somehow should, or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini-MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids.
1: This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, brought to you by Business M.O. LLC.
0: Chris Hively is one of the leading experts in how to build startups that grow into multi-million dollar companies, and in some circles, he's even been called the startup whisperer. He has both large and small business experience working at the highest levels for giants such as Rand McNally and Accenture and then also being the co-founder of a company called um, MapQuest. He eventually sold that to AOL for 1.2 billion, yes, with a B, dollars. Now, how's that for the American dream? During the go-go internet boom of the 1990s, he was even a venture capitalist for a while. So as you're hearing this, you might think that his career path has been an express elevator to the top. But Chris says that that really hasn't been the case. He's been fired or laid off four times during his career and reinvented himself just as many. Talk about resilient. Today, Chris is the happy current co-manager of another startup venture called the Startup Factory, and it's the largest seed investment firm in the Southeast, located in Durham, North Carolina. They've got a remarkable track record. More than 60% of the Startup Factory's portfolio companies have gone on to raise follow on capital after they left the accelerator. That number is more than double the industry average for investment programs of this type. Besides being an early stage investor with company building experience, Chris is also a sought after speaker. He's spoken at TEDx and he's been seen and heard on media. Being featured in the TV documentary Startup Land and being quoted in publications such as forbes washington post crane's business journal just to name a few he's also an avid writer himself frequently blogging on his own website hively.com being a contributing writer for inc.com and authoring the book build the fort why five simple lessons you learned as a 10 year old can set you up for startup success what a title Talk about a fascinating whirlwind career. What a treat and honor to have him join us here today. Welcome to Business Confidential. Now, Chris.
2: Thanks for having me, Hannah.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You know, everyone has heard of MapQuest. So let's start with that. Could you just tell me briefly how that idea came to be and how you went from zero to 1.2 billion exit? Oh, that's just amazing.
2: Well, I'd like to say it's, it was really simple. Surround yourself with a bunch of smart people, get really lucky, and be the first one out there, and you too could have billion-dollar success. That's all you need. Oh, that's it. That's it. Well, a little bit of sarcasm maybe, right?
0: Yeah, of course. Well, it turns
2: out that my journey starts back in college, and I am actually a geography major and a master's degree in geography. So I'm the worst geographer you'd ever meet. I don't know the state capitals or the rivers or climates or anything like that, but I love mapping. And back in the eighties and the early days of computing, I loved computers. And I was one of these unique guys who actually knew how to write code, um, as a non-computer science major. And that was pretty special back in the eighties. And, uh, the way it, uh, like a lot of things that happen that we don't know about. The journey is actually much longer. The tail is much longer than the, the hockey stick up part that everyone sees. And the MapQuest journey starts back almost five or six years before that um, in a little town called Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And so here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, obviously the right the tech capital of the whole world, right? Everyone's heard of it. There's many billion dollar internet startups that come out of there. But what we had were uh, a handful of us that were kind of math geeks. There was a little mapping company that we were part of. But we knew that this applied technology thing happening in the late 80s and early 90s was really interesting. We had no fear, probably because we were naive. (laughs) And uh, so uh, the MathQuest journey starts actually years before that when we decided to figure out how to do routing on a PC eventually routing on a cd-rom and the next part of that journey was routing on the internet
0: so it's just a confluence of factors the right place the right time
2: yeah i mean i think obviously well i do think we were smart um and we had a lot of knowledge that not a lot of other people had this kind of technology meets mapping type of thing and we were on the kind of the early forefront where maybe there was, you know, a handful to maybe a hundred people that kind of knew what uh, we now call most of that technology, GIS, geographical information systems. And most of that technology was applied to big governments or, you know, how you manage land use for as a forester. But there was a handful of us that said we could actually just use it to make maps better and faster and more interesting and eventually we identified routing. So some of us are of the age that when we went on our spring break trip, trip with mom and dad in the station wagon with the wood on the sides, some of us remember that we would have gone to an auto club like AAA and gotten a triptych. So I don't know if you ever did that, Hannah, or your family.
0: I remember that.
2: At the very least, you went out and bought a Rand McNally Road Atlas to kind of figure out, you know, which interstate you should drive on when you're heading to Orlando to go to Disney, uh, we decided, boy, that that seems kind of silly that we're still those all those routes are kind of pre made. You know, my town is different than your town. And I need to know places to stop along the way. And maybe we can do this on a computer. So I, you know, maybe that's that naive, have no fear, but let's try it and see what happens. And then I think we're pretty smart in terms of we did a bunch of partnerships early on that allowed us this little sleepy map company in Lancaster to kind of get that off the ground.
0: Okay, so you were smart, and you had all these things going on. You had some vision. That's great for proving your concept, but what about challenges in scaling the business?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we, we did as many things wrong as we did right, but maybe that's where a little bit of luck comes in, and maybe we're being first gives you more freedom to make more mistakes. Um, We were also doing this inside of a very large uh, company. And so we had some smart people around us that we could lean on and rely on for some help. Uh, We eventually raised some venture capital and spun the business outside of that large company. And as some of us may know, you know, really good venture capitalists also give you great advice and help you kind of, um, ask the right questions and seek the right answers if you're willing to listen and, and be motivated by that. So, you know, there, again, there's a little bit about being kind of part smart and, and part lucky that we happen to make more good decisions than bad decisions, which I think by the way, is the secret to scaling a business is you're going to make mistakes, but if we can kind of, make less of them and more good decisions, then hopefully good things will happen.
0: And hopefully you have some mentors that can help you along the way, which kind of leads me to where you are now with the startup factory. Tell me about the startup factory and in your experience in working with all these different companies over the years, what you think the key is to cracking the entrepreneurial code.
2: Sure. Well, the startup factory is not unlike a number of programs that sprung up around the country uh, back about eight or 10 years ago. Uh, we started the startup factory about six years ago and kind of riffed off of uh, what other kind of these new models of, you know, I, you use the word accelerator and that's, that's the label that's been attached to these things. For those of you are not familiar, it's kind of a new age incubator um, where incubators used to be, kind of in government or universities and, you know, you think of people sitting, you know, huddled around a a table or a cubicle or or a lab, you know, for two or three years struggling to find this breakthrough. Um, The new age version of that, especially um, targeted at software development, said, boy, guys, there's a little better way we can do this. The the, uh, infrastructure to start a startup company starting seven, eight years ago uh, the infrastructure costs dropped, you know, amazingly, right? So you don't have to buy servers or you don't have to buy expensive, you know, offices and wire them all together, right? We're all connected, right? We can connect at Starbucks and, and have just as much connectivity to our, you know, to your customers or your staff as anybody else. And you don't, and you can rent servers, you know, by the minute as opposed to having to, you know, upfront these large costs. And the list goes on and on and on. So to that end, the, the idea of a, an accelerator is let's um, focus a little bit of money and a little bit of time and let's kind of bring uh, a number of these ideas together all in one physical location. Let's bring in some volunteer mentors from around that community and let's see if we can kind of go out and validate that this idea that you have for your startup is worthwhile and that others actually see the same thing you see either through signing up some you know, initial customers or seeing how those customers engage, or even maybe finding a partnership or two where other people say, yeah, I get that. I, I need that. And so the way I used to say about this, Hannah, is that in my day, when I was just starting a company, I would go out and raise two or $3 million and then take 15 months to build out the product and then shove it out into the world and cross my fingers that they saw what I saw. And today, that number's more like thirty to $50,000 in three to six months, you should be able to get that same answer. And the accelerators are built around that kind of idea.
0: Well, that definitely shortens the process, and I love the way technology today can be easily leveraged from so many different spots. So, you know, like you say, Starbucks and the Wi-Fi, actually everybody's got Wi-Fi these days. So um, that certainly lowers the barriers to entry, which is a good thing, but, it, you know, it's a two-edged sword. <laughs>
2: It certainly is. It certainly is. It means you're competing with a lot of other people as well, right? It's just, it's easy for them as well as for you.
0: Right, exactly right. So in working with these different types of startups, what do you see the key to success being?
2: Well, there's a couple keys. Uh, The one that I spend the most time thinking about actually, you know, kind of it's a mirror and it's more about you than the idea or the customer or your teammates or all that, you know, all the different things, you know, there's leadership and there's hiring, there's raising money, all the things that we sometimes like to focus on. And it turns out that uh, I think the majority of success, if that's the right way to say, or or the largest indicator of success is how you handle yourself. And one of the things that Dave and I at the Startup Factory spend a lot of time doing is seeing how we can find the kinds of people who think like we do. And those kind of people uh, start with a very healthy amount of self-awareness and self-awareness about who they are, what they like, um, that they're driven by. Uh, kind of the right things. So a lot of, as an example, a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up in this idea of what their company looks like three or five years from now when all the pieces are going and there's a captain that's, you know, unbelievably successful ship and, you know, the marketing people are bringing leads in, the sales people are closing them. I don't even need customer support because my product's so perfect. You know, everything is just, just grand, grand, grand. And the problem is, is that, uh, uh, to quote Steve Blank, who's a noted guy in this field, startups are not smaller versions of large companies. Their challenges are completely different. And someone who's kind of self-aware and kind of understands that, understands that they may have a vision of what this looks like, but you can't execute that vision. You have to execute a much, much different version. And I always encourage people to think more like in three-month chunks and say, all right, what can I accomplish in three months? How can I gather the resources necessary to kind of find that first customer, build out that first crappy product, get it in front of people? How do, I, how do I kind of get this ball started so that when I set a number of three-month chunks together over a year or two, I build up momentum, I build up confidence, investor confidence, hiring confidence, customer confidence, and the next thing you know, I turn around and I got a company.
0: So if I hear you correctly, it's about not outrunning your headlights, having a general destination in mind, but being prepared to take detours to get there.
2: I couldn't have said it better, Hannah. And and, and being as you, you know, when you're laying awake at night in bed and trying to think about what's going on and you're managing the ups and downs of trying to do that and just being very self-aware of what role you have in that and being honest with yourself and uh, not getting caught up in, playing CEO of a company that doesn't exist yet. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of make that mistake and obviously they never get, you know, any momentum and really get this thing off the ground yet they're kind of playing the role. Um, So that's the one thing that I spend a lot of time lately thinking about, trying to figure out how to advise around that, being able to select the right, our kind of entrepreneurs to come into the startup factory. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, you know, Chris, I, I'm listening to this, and this sounds to me sort of like this parallel universe because the startup factory sounds to me like the map quest for entrepreneurs.
2: <laughs> well, you know, who, who, I would be kind of silly if I didn't leverage my experiences, right, in doing the things that I need to do. And, and um, you know, one of the things I would say, Hannah, obviously there's not one playbook and one way to do this. If there was, we'd all be doing it, and, you know, we'd pay we pay, you know, large fees, right, for that playbook. Right. Uh, I, like to, I like to say that, you know, building a company is like a recipe. We know most of the ingredients, but it's how you apply those ingredients in certain ways and at certain times that really make for a great dish in this case, in this analogy. So your job as the founder, CEO, co-founder is to kind of figure out those things. And I can help you a little bit. I have an approach that works. It's my approach. And if that approach seems to dovetail with the way you think about it, we have a great match. By the way, there's other ways. You can be a stubborn, arrogant, or, you know, brilliant or not brilliant, a go-getter, persistent. Maybe that, all of those things can make you do something, you know, very successful. But my way is a little bit more crawl, walk, run.
0: Understood well and and just as you said there's different ways to do things and it and it in turn it helps develop different types of business cultures and people decide you know what kind of company they want to do business with you know where they're most comfortable so it all it all works out now i'm curious that you know in working with all of these different companies you said yeah there's different ingredients but Things happen in a certain order and sometimes there's certain pinch points, just as you know, if you're making the recipe analogy, there are some things that you you have to do in a certain sequence or, you know, if you do it this way, it's guaranteed the souffle mm-hmm. is going to fall. Boom. It's that simple. So what are some of those right. pinch points in the early startup phase that you find consistently trips up entrepreneurs that they need to be aware of besides sort of this this attitude or approach to... business you know being more short-term and long-term focused as opposed to long-term only you know being able Mm -hmm. to flip back and forth between the two as you said hold up the mirror
2: yeah and by the way thanks for running with my food analogy and talking about the souffle so well done there um so uh pinch points uh i think um the first pinch point has and this has been you know for forever in time and it's even more critical today it's that uh we focus as as an entrepreneur i think there's a natural builder in you right you that you enjoy the the building the architecting the designing right and this creation of this thing it's a product it's a service it's a little bit of both right it doesn't matter what we're talking about here from a piece of software to a restaurant right And so to that end, I think as builders and the DNA that's in kind of most founders is great enjoyment out of kind of conceiving of what this thing looks like. Right. We got this picture in our mind. And so there's an inordinate amount of focus on building out product. And the problem is today, or if you want to look at it the way I like to look at it, the opportunity today is to say, I probably have half of that wrong. Now, like the old advertising ad, is that half my advertising is working, but I don't know which half. Um, what we have, what we don't know, is all right. We may have a decent enough product that there's some amount of customer or target market that would enjoy this thing. My job is to figure out who they are, and who are the easy, you know the ones that you know have the least amount of friction to find those customers, and bring that in earlier in the process before you spend this an enormous amount of time building your Taj Mahal of the product. Because what happens is when you overly focus on product, and I'm using that right in the most generic sense possible, when you're overly focused on the building of the product, and I'm telling you that half of it your customers don't care about or will be annoyed about, you've wasted an enormous amount of time on something no one's going to use. And startups run out of time or money okay so using um using time that you never get get back is what you know creators where's where the soufflé falls and so what we try to work with and what's available to people today is bringing kind of the target customer and the customer need much sooner into the business and in fact what i'd like to say is if you if you had to overly simplify the amount of time you spend on product versus customer, it should be 50, 50, not 90, 10. And there's lots of great ways that you can go out and engage with customers without your beautiful Taj Mahal product and just see what they like, what they don't like, whether they see what you see and how they want to engage with you in a, in a meaningful way in your, with your product. So, when you think about dividing your time between how much time I spend on the product and how much I spend on customer, and we can talk about what that means in more detail, it should be more like 50-50, not 90-10.
0: Okay, very good. Well, you know, Chris, there are probably some folks listening right now that are sitting either in a cubicle or maybe even in a a, a corner office, but they feel like the walls are closing in on them. They're financially comfortable, but career-wise, They're really kind of bored, and they hear that siren call of entrepreneurship. It sounds exciting. It sounds sexy. They want to answer it, but they're afraid. What advice do you have for them?
2: My advice for them is dip your toe in. Uh, There's easy ways to kind of uh, try on the entrepreneurial suit without having to make a huge sacrifice day one. And uh, one of the ways you can do that is to start – you know, there's certain, you know, whether if you have an idea, uh, you know, start talking to some people, start socializing the idea with some others, have them start to react to whether this sounds like a good idea, have them start to give you feedback. You can do all that on nights and weekends before you're kind of quitting your day job. Um, it's amazing what happens when you when you go out and talk to people. And I'm not talking about your three college buddies. I'm talking about kind of 50 people, potential customers and maybe you know maybe even start with friends to kind of warm up you know your your these muscles there's lots of ways to engage every community has a co-working space that you can walk into it um, every community uh, has uh, you know uh, meetups and they're very you know typically no agenda and you get to meet people just like yourself uh, your tribe as I like to call them and so go find an entrepreneurial tribe and kind of Try on the suit and swim around and see whether that feels good, uh, you know, before you kind of start to leap. And then I can keep going. I'll let you ask the next question. I can go on for <laughs> an hour on this one.
0: Well, I think that's a good start for those people that are bored and, and just want to experiment so that they can kind of test their ideas out without, like you said, quitting their day jobs necessarily. Your book, Build the Fort, how did you come up with that title? Tell, talk to me about your book.
2: Ah Well, thanks for asking. It makes me smile. I'm smiling really, really large right now. So uh, it turns out that I built a lot of forts. I grew up with about 20 kids in this kind of end of this neighborhood, and we had, I don't know, it was probably 20 or 40 acres. I don't know how you judge that by kid standards, and we built a lot of forts. And if I fast forward to kind of math quest and all the work I've done since then, uh, one of the guys that I've worked with, Marshall, who... Is a um, unbelievably talented software developer who kind of wrote a lot of the original MapQuest software. Um, he and I, somewhere, you know, you know, we're obviously I'm in my 30s or 40s by now, and we somehow stumbled upon that analogy. That's that kind of figuring out an, you know taking an idea and getting it off the ground was like building the fort, and we would laugh. That was our little that was our little code. And in fact, one of the first questions we'd ask each other is, and obviously this was a metaphor uh, for our businesses, not for actually building the fort. The metaphor was, where are we going to steal the wood? Because if you remember when you build a fort, if you build a fort outside, I'm sorry, we needed to borrow some wood, you know, from that house down the road that, you know, that they're building and that extra wood that they weren't going to use. Right. Right. I say, I say with a wink,
1: Mm -hmm. but if
2: you think about, the analogy of that. Um, and so when I, when I started writing a lot more and I wanted to kind of put this all in one place, I stumbled back upon this kind of metaphor for building the fort. And what I, started, <clears throat> what I started to think about is that these things that we did when we were 10 applied directly to the things that I advise people to do. And I very casually uh, um, boil those down to kind of five lessons. The first one is you socialize the idea without any fear or inhibition. So if you think like a 10 year old, they it, it went something like this. Hey, Hannah, want to build a fort? And your answer probably took about two seconds. Sure. Right. That was yeah. it. You didn't go in like we would as an adult and say, well, I have this idea. I don't know if it's any good. I don't even know whether it'll work. I don't, I don't know. What do you think? And, I don't even know if I want to tell you it because I think it's stupid. Like that's, that's the adult version, right? You know, and we get caught up in all this ego and personality and like, but as a 10 year old, you're like, Hey Hannah, want to build a fort? And you're like, sure. Right? So now the first thing we do is, well, what do we need? If it's inside, we need some blankets. We need to turn the chairs over, right? If It's outside. Maybe we need some wood. Where are we going to go get some stuff? And who else do we want to get to kind of help us do this? And then, When we went and built the fort, right, it better take less than a day or two days because it wasn't going to take three months because as 10-year-olds, right, we don't even have any kind of, um, you know, the timing of that, right, has to be very uh, appropriate for 10-year-olds. And if you think about it, those are a lot of the same lessons that I've already talked about today, which is find, you know, go out and socialize your idea, tell 50 people. You'll find some people that get excited about it, that maybe want to join you on the journey. Start with something small, right? And go out and test it and validate it, make sure it works, and then you can kind of iterate from there. And if you do all those things, you have some unbelievable confidence and some momentum that allows you to continue to kind of build and build and build without any kind of fear or any of that crap that comes that we, as adults typically, put into the equation. And that's the concept to build for.
0: I love it. I do. Because, you know, as you said, as a 10-year-old, you have no fear of loss. Because what's going to happen? You know, your mother's still going to call you for dinner. <laughs> <I> always... <laughs> exactly. And, and, and if so, not, okay, gonna, whether it falls over or do not, doesn't out. matter. And you come back the next day refreshed, renewed, and, and you keep at it, right?
2: Exactly. Because what's the worst of the thing that happens, right? You're still going to get a grilled cheese sandwich and a bed sleeping at the end of the day.
0: That's right. That's right. So what would be the one thing you'd want the readers to take from your book, Chris? The one lesson.
2: Uh, The one lesson is um, don't make, don't get caught up in all of the kind of media created hype and, and bigness, right? You know, the largest of what a startup's about and just keep it really simple and give yourself you know, give yourself room to find these little successes. And when you put enough of those together, man, you just might create something beautiful.
0: That's right. And if nothing else, you'll have some fun along the way. Cause I think that's the spirit of the 10 year old. You're not, are not going to do it if it's no fun, right?
2: Exactly. Because believe me, there's days that gets hard. So you better figure out how to have fun days as well.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have a link to your book, Build the Fort on the episode page at businessconfidentialradio.com to make it easy for people not just to review all of the wonderful things and, and lessons that are in this interview, but also to be able to get your book because it looks like it's a, a fun read. You know, you've had such a fascinating career, Chris, and you're still going strong. It's really very inspiring and very impressive. Have there been any defining moments in your journey, you know, influences that have given you the some aha moment that have in turn influenced your direction?
2: Well, too many to mention, uh, because, you know, that's, that's life, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't know anybody that's just had a really perfect trajectory. And you mentioned earlier in the introduction that, you know, when you've done what I've done, you know, you run into places where you have hit your ceiling, either your ceiling or their perceived ceiling. And, uh, and you have to, you know, change gears. And, Emotionally, those can hurt a little bit, but I think the biggest epiphany I had is I don't really think I became a great entrepreneur till the last ten years. I view the MapQuest thing as some luck and timing and some good people and you know obviously a little bit smart, but uh, I really think you become I became better when I realized how to understand who I was and how what role I wanted to play in companies and how I could kind of be very self-aware and I've been lucky enough to have some really good mentors along the way that I had no fear to reach out to and say, tell me what I need to know. And sometimes they hit you with a two by four on the back of the head, right? And that's part of that self-awareness when you're willing to take that feedback and then use it and understand that, boy, you know, that's, they got me. Now I get me better than, than I did before and I could be a better person and not let all the crap kind of enter into the equation.
0: Fabulous. That really speaks volumes about you to recognize that those mentors, they're in your court. They want to see you succeed, which is why sometimes they've had to be direct and tell you something you probably didn't want to hear. But you being you, you've acted on it and it's all just been for the better. So bravo. Well, Thank you. Thank you. Bravo. Well, we're just about out of time, and we've covered a lot of ground. I really appreciate your insights and, and sharing from the heart. Any parting thoughts for our audience?
2: You know, if you even have an inkling of wanting to, you know, and I think most of us do, figure out a way to you know, engage in it. Come see me or see somebody else. Reach out to somebody and share that idea. It's just so freeing. You know, an idea locked in your head is wasted. And even if you never act on it, just the process of kind of getting it out there and setting it free and having it go on a little kind of journey with other people, you'll find it to be one of the most rewarding experiences. So, you know, don't be afraid of it. Go do it. And uh, I wish you luck about it.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chris, and for sharing these insights, your experiences, your journey. It's really been inspiring, and I hope that some people who've had some ideas locked in their head set it free because you've had enough regrets in your life. Don't let this be one of them. Go ahead, test it out, because who knows? You know, you could be creating the business of your dreams and something you can be proud to tell your grandchildren about. So go for it. What's the worst that could happen? You could stay stuck where you are. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks again, Chris. Appreciate it, and hope our paths cross again.
1: Thanks, Anna. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, brought to you by Business Mo LLC.
0: Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website businessconfidentialradio.com Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies so be sure to check it out That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com And also don't forget to subscribe to the show That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests those thought leaders experts and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world Let them help you too Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential Now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.